The Start On Demand. On demand. On this day when the province is releasing its reopening strategy, we'll speak with Mayor Brian Bowman for our monthly visit and get the latest on how the city is dealing with the impact of COVID-19. We also speak with St. Vitale Councillor Brian Mays on why Executive Policy Committee rejected the Polo Park proposed residential development plan. It's still going to full council, but we'll get his thoughts on the matter. Post Media is closing a number of local newspapers in Manitoba. We'll speak with Winnipeg sports journalist Ken Weeb on his experience with working in a small town paper. And a Milwaukee musician decides to set Dr. Seuss to Dr. Dre, and it works amazingly. So we'll talk about our favorite books from when we were little kids. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, April 29th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg and Loren, you're at home, so you probably didn't notice, but I noticed on the way in this morning that at at least one gas station, the price had gone up to 73.9. It had been as low as 64.9, so we'll see. That was at Domo, so we'll see if other gas stations follow suit today when they open up. Just one observation on the way in. Do you guys miss being out and about and seeing what's happening out there, Greg? Yes. As much as I'm enjoying being home, I am missing uh, the idea of being out and about and seeing what's going on out in the community and the changes, right? Springtime and so, so many changes. Uh, But I guess I got to put myself out there. It's actually an effort, Loren, to actually get out, go in the car and maybe go and see something. It's, It's so odd. You know what I started doing in the last few days? I dusted off the rollerblades. And so now I rollerplayed past gas stations and wonder what it'd be like to fill up the car. I don't even have, I'm, I'm, I haven't been in the car. I go in a car like once a week. Uh, I don't miss that, but I, yeah, I, uh, I miss being out and about and just kind of seeing people. I just said to Jeff Forche, uh, behind the glass that, uh, I miss his smile. I'm so, I'm worried this is going to go on so long that his permanent smile is going to turn into a permanent frown and he'll never be the same again. He's assured me it's not happening. It's not going to happen. At least not yet. Who knows? We'll find out. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> I, I would say that uh, Forte's spirits haven't been quite as upbeat, but I think that's you know, that's probably indicative of how we're all feeling. If Jeff Forte is a little down, then we're all down. But rollerblades. Wow. Yes. How old are yeah. they? Oh, God. <laughs> Half my age plus seven. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're old. They're from university, but we bought some for the kids just as something to do. We, we ordered some from... Uh, they came from Winnipeg, and so uh, we've all been. It's just been one way to get outside and do something different, and they love it. I'm ter- I-, I used to be quite good, but you know, with the older you get, the more you're worried about landing on your head. And so I'm the idiot that doesn't have a helmet just yet. So that's next on my list. The kids are protected, and much better than me already. But yes, it's been fun. There's that you know, you're just trying to find ways to like entertain yourself, and so gym class is now rollerblading class. Hey, Tim, by the way, just texted with an interesting observation. He says uh, that SO every morning this week has started at 83.9. Then by 9 a.m., it dropped, drops back down oh. to 65.9. So maybe the 73.9 jump was just overnight. Because we have seen that before where the price seems to go up mm-hmm. overnight and then it drops back down. But, Loren, you mentioned trying to find interesting ways to have fun. And yesterday I'm scrolling through my social media and one of my buddies posted a video of a Milwaukee musician named Wes Tank. 
who for the last few weeks, and we're going to use this as a springboard for a conversation at 645, but for the last few weeks, he has been posting videos on YouTube where he reads Dr. Seuss to the music of Dr. Dre. And it it works so well. So did you got Greg, did you watch any of this? Oh, yes. I was bopping along. I couldn't turn it off. If I'd had more time uh, when I was watching it, I would have watched it a second time. It was fantastic. It was green eggs and ham and just so well done. And Loren, did you take, did you partake? I did. It put me to shame because I can't tell you how many stories and poems we've read over the last few weeks for school that I've turned into a rap just to make it more fun. Like, raindrops are falling. You got to get down. You got to get down to down, downtown. And then my kids are like, this is the worst song ever. And I'm like, well, memorize it. Just make it work, people. So, no, play it because this this is how rap should go. Okay, here's 60 seconds of the Lorax. At the far end of town where the grickle grass grows And the wind smells slow and sour when it blows And no birds ever sing excepting old crows Is the street of the lifted Lorax Deep in the grickle grass, some people say If you look deep enough, you can still see today Where the Lorax once stood just as long as it could Before somebody lifted the Lorax away What was the Lorax and why was it there? Why was it lifted and taken somewhere? From the far end of town where the grickle grass grows The old onceler still lives there there he knows but you won't see the one slut don't knock at his door he stays in his lurkum on top of the store he lurks in his lurkum cold under the roof where he makes his own clothes out of myth muffin noof and on special dank midnights in august he peeks out of the shudders and sometimes he speaks and tells how the lorax was lifted away he'll tell you perhaps if you're willing to pay on the end of a rope he lets down a tin pail and you have to toss 15 cents and a nail in the shell of a great great grandfather's nail then he pulls the up his tail makes a most careful count. So he goes on like that for like 10 minutes with the Lorax. It's incredible. Oh, I love it. And Greg, you mentioned green eggs and ham. So here it is set to Forgot About Dre. I am Sam, Sam, I am that Sam, I am that Sam, I am. I do not like that Sam, I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam, I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Do you like them here or there? I do not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. Would you like them in a house? Would you like them with a mouse? I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. Don texting us saying, thanks, guys. You got my wife dancing in the kitchen at 6.10 a.m. But these videos are like the perfect combination of nostalgia, right? Because I, I think we've all read Dr. Seuss at some point in our life, whether as kids or, or as parents. And uh, then Dr. Dre, I mean, this music is a blast from the past from my youth. Uh, all of this. And like he go, he, he think he covers California love in there at some point and uh, nothing but a G thing. We'll hear some of that set to the cat in the hat a bit later at 645. Uh, but super fun. And now it makes me want to go back and, and revisit Horton. Here's a who, which was my Ooh. favorite Dr. Seuss book because I lived on Horton Avenue West as a little kid. So it's you thought when that you was read... written just for you. You thought it was custom. Oh. 
customized yeah. Dr. Seuss. Yeah. I was like, oh, you must have written this just, just for me. But sorry, Loren, you were saying? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, when, it's when you go back and read some Dr. Seuss, it's all designed to getting the kids to read, right? So the rhymes and the weirdness of it. But part of you secretly wonders, like, what was he on when he was coming up with some of this stuff? <laughs> oh, yes. Because it, it, like, it, the kids will even look at you like, that doesn't even make any sense. You're like, it sure doesn't. But keep rhyming, kid. <laughs> It'll help you read. I have no idea what a sneed is. <laughs> That's in the Lorax. A thneed. Right now we want to know, what is your favorite book from when you were a little kid? And here's the reason why we're talking about this. Milwaukee musician Wes Tank for the last few weeks has been releasing videos on his YouTube channel where he reads Dr. Seuss set to the music of Dr. Dre like this. And then he ran out, then as fast as a fox The cat in the hat came back with a box A big red wood box, and he shut with a hook Now look at this trick, said the cat Take a look, then he got up on top With a tip of his hat I call this game fun in a box, said the cat In this box are two things, I will show you now You will like these two things, said the cat with a bow I did not get much accomplished this morning because I was buried in these videos. They are amazing. So we've linked a story with the videos to our 680CJOB Instagram if you want to see them. But we want to start with finding out what your favorite books were as a little kid. Or maybe you have a book that you like to read to little kids. So Kelly Moore, why don't we start with you? Well, I'll save Jeff from the trouble and say I don't remember all the cement tablets that my cave parents read to me when I was a kid. But uh, <laughs> no, but I, and I honestly don't remember having favorite books uh, that far ago. But I know when our uh, girls were born and uh, uh, they were uh, uh, old enough uh, to, to understand, their favorite by far was a book. Uh, the author was P.D. Eastman, and it was titled "Are You My Mother?" And they just loved us reading that book to them because it was a story about a little bird that hatches. The mother's gone away, so then the little bird is just going from one animal to the other to uh, find out if uh, there is mother. And, of course, at the end of the story, uh, happily reunited with his real mother. But it, it, it was a real all-time favorite in our household. Jeff Braun, how about you? There's a book. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was called Skinny Bones. And it was about like a 12-year-old boy who was just, just a scrawny little kid. And it dealt with him trying out for the baseball team and dealing with a school bully. And it was the funniest book I'd ever read. I like crying with laughter as I was about the same age as a kid in the book, I guess. And I remember one part, the, my favorite part was when he's playing baseball and this other kid comes up to him and says, I'm going to bunt. And he doesn't know what bunt means, and he thinks it means the kid's going to throw up. He's freaking out. And he's trying to warn the coach, oh, my God, you know, Tommy said he's going to bunt. we got to do something. we got to Anyways, it was really funny. It was, I, I, wish, I think I might still have that book in a box somewhere. I should probably use some of my valuable time and look for it. A 1982 book from author Barbara Park, Skinny Bones. A uh, text go. message from Jana who says favorite book was called The Little Prince. Now it's used in universities. That's neat. Uh, Jeff Forte, what about you, buddy? You know what? I, I can't remember what my favorite book was, but, you know, I, I there's like the Berenstain Berenstain. Is it Berenstain or Berenstain? Berenstain Bears. Berenstain Bears. Anyways, there's a whole thing on that. But, uh, yeah, the Berenstain Bears, like all those books were, were great. I remember being a kid and reading those. But, I, you know, my favorite author, though, would have to be Robert Munch. 
Like, there's so many books he has that he's made. They're just absolutely great, especially one that, uh, you know, makes any mother cry, especially my own, is I Love You Forever. That, uh, so I guess, you know, that'd probably be one of my favorite books. Would that make you cry, McNabb? Oh, yeah. And there's a song that goes with it. So for sure, I that would be on the list of my favorite just to read and the message it gives to the kids. And yes, but we know I'll, I'll happy cry over lots of things. But I, I can't I can't settle on one this morning. I love to read. I love to read as a kid. I would used to tell my mom in the car that I would talk to her when the sun went down if we were on a vacation because a road trip because I wanted to use all the daylight time I could to read in the car. I'm struggling between Judy Bloom, who wrote books like Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, and that was with Peter in it, and he had the annoying brother Fudge, and he always got in his way and was picking on him and his turtle, or anything by Royal Doll. That's, uh, a, we're reading the series with my kids right now, so we've got Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, James and the Giant Peach, like all those kinds of books. They were just ridiculous, the BFG, and I love them. I still love them today. And Mackling? Well, you know what? You guys all mentioned my favorites, but I was also trying to figure out which uh, children's authors we could match with different artists. Like you mentioned Judy Bloom, Judy Bloom to the Boomtown Rats, uh, Robert Munch to Anne Murray. How about Rolled Doll to the Goo Goo Dolls? Anne and Murray, Bar- man, you're looking to put us to sleep? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, hey, hey, hey. And Berenstain Bears to the Beastie Boys. Oh, nice! <laughs> That's a great. Well, maybe Mackling, you can uh, you can do that yourself. Maybe record a video. What do you think? I like the Berenstain Bears. That was a good pull there, uh, Jeff. And I love you forever. I read that one to my kids. I went up to their room. I knew I would easily find a copy of it. There's probably half a dozen of them uh, in this house. And yeah, I uh, I can't read the last three pages at to the point when the boys were three they had to finish the book for me and they they knew this book inside out i'll love you forever i'll like you for always as long as i'm living my baby you'll be it's a powerful book no matter how old you are Just before we get started here on childcare, we're getting a ton of text messages at 204-780-6868 on your favorite books from when you were a little kid, including one from Brian, who says, the hockey sweater, P.S., Habs suck. Ooh, wait a minute. Isn't the hockey sweater about the Leafs, though? I don't know. It is. I'm sure of it. Mm -hmm. He can go go away right now. (laughs) Go away. (laughs) Hold on a second. Maybe, Maybe he just wanted to throw that in for fun. You can mm-hmm. just make that observation that the Habs suck. Are you? No, ha- the, I don't care if the, he says the Habs suck. I'm I'm concerned that his favorite oh. book is about the Maple Leafs. Oh, okay. <laughs> he can say that. He can say they both suck if he wants to. That works for me. All right. So keep those texts coming. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Life has not been the same for many of us since that first case of COVID-19 was announced in Manitoba in March, and health officials have repeatedly told us that a return to normal is not on the table anytime soon. What they have said, Brett, is that we need to get used to this idea of the new normal. And later today, as we've been telling you, Manitoba will share its plan for what that new normal could look like as it eyes that slow reopening. What's next as we try to lift some of the restrictions that have been in place? Will camping and golfing and larger gatherings be allowed in the months ahead? And of course, Greg, a huge part of this question is what about the kids? 
No question about it. We know many essential workers have had no choice but to keep their child uh, children in daycare. Some have remained open. And now the question, what do they need to prepare for the possibility more parents could slowly be returning to work? The Manitoba Child Care Association wrote to the families minister this week to share their thoughts. Jody Cal is the executive director of the Child Care Association and joins us now. Good morning, Jody. Good morning, guys. How are you all doing? We're doing as best we can. I'm, I'm sure that's uh, most of us right now. How about we start with what's been going on in daycares over the past few weeks? How many are still open and how has that been working out when it comes to trying to ensure kids are keeping their distance? The two don't, uh, the two concepts really, uh, daycare, lots of kids in a small space and physical distancing don't really uh, compute in a normal situation, do they, Jody? No, social distancing and young children aren't two things that are synonymous, that's for sure. So what's been happening? Well, you know, as of uh, sort of yesterday, uh, there's there's probably about 400 or so licensed facilities that are currently operational. And when I say facilities, that would include both the licensed homes and the centres in, in the province. And so there are over 1,100 facilities in the province, so that would, you know, equate to about just less than 40% of them that are actually open right now. Now, The thing is, though, sorry to interrupt, is most of them from what we've surveyed are not at that that maximum group size of 16 that Dr. Rusin has um, recommended could be the maximum group size. What we've surveyed, a lot of them have spaces that are open and are only providing care to, you know, eight or less children. So as we've been saying, sorry, I I interrupted you. You don't have to apologize to me. You're our guest. As we've been telling our listeners, uh, Manitoba will be releasing more details on its reopening plan today. What do you hope is in it when it comes to daycares? Oh, well, and you're absolutely right. We did um, send an email to Minister Stephenson on on Monday afternoon and sort of had identified what we would want to see as areas of priority for consideration. And so some of the the, the key ones would be, first and foremost, um, communication and adequate notice for preparation. Um, I think that there needs to be a minimum of sort of two weeks for centres that aren't open or if they're going to be changing what that maximum group size is, to to be ready and prepared to do what they need to do. You know, they're going to need to define what those screening protocols are, making sure they do have access to PPA, replenishing supplies, meeting with boards of directors, identifying staffing needs, recalling staff. So just a multitude of variables that would have to be considered. So notice would be probably the first thing. And then some really clear direction. You know, if if now we're providing care for only essential workers, again, we don't know what to anticipate in the province's announcement today. If they're going to expand that to non-essential workers, is there going to be some guidance from the province in terms of who is a able to access those cares. I think it would be onerous for child care centre directors to have to decide who has access to spaces, and I don't want them to be put in that type of position. So those are some of the things. The other real important one would be, you know, just that acknowledging there's a significant transition for young children to return to child care. So some of these children haven't been in care for you know, six weeks now, this is going to be a, a difficult transition for both children and families, and so making sure that they have the support to take care of them. Yeah, the routines have kind of gone out the window in many homes, Jody, and not because parents haven't tried, I'm sure. It's just because life is so very different. You might not be working right now. You might be working from home. Everyone's situation is different. And, and I'm curious what you're hearing from some parents and, and as well as your staff, because it's one thing to say if they put a date on this and then say, okay, it might be some non-essential workers going back to work. 
Will they all go? Will they choose to put your, their kids back into daycare? How will that play out? And then how do daycares plan for that with all those unknowns? What are you hearing from staff and, and parents? And that's, that is definitely the, going to be the most difficult part of all of this. And so it's going to take some real coordinated effort from, from the province and, of course, the association be more than willing to work with them about exactly that. You know, just because they may open up more spaces to be accessible, are the families able to come back yet? So there's going to sort of have to be that balance. And then if centres are opening, if they're not meeting that 16 then financially that becomes a, a burden on the program too they're staffing for 16 children but not having 16 children for financial parent fees and so there maybe needs to be some consideration of that cash flow and, and funding for programs that are, are reopening so lots and lots of moving parts that are going to have to be considered jody is that one of the misconceptions about daycare operations that fine line you walk with regard to providing service and the revenue stream well, it is. I mean, you know, child care is, is notorious for being known as caring, supportive, nurturing, right? But it is still a business, and so you need to be operational in order to, you know, provide quality child care. You need to be paying your staff adequate remuneration so that they can provide the type of skilled quality child care that, that is needed to, you know, support young children. I just want to just jump in quickly, if I can, before we let you go. Jody. have you been consulted by the province at all as they look towards a slow reopening? Have there been conversations with you, or is it just you sending a letter to them with questions? No, there actually has been quite a, a reciprocity of, of sharing of information. I actually have a meeting, uh, a virtual meeting this morning with the province as well to talk about sort of the announcement. I don't know what's in the announcement yet, but I do appreciate that they are, are willing to you know, include MCCA and myself as part of those discussions. All right, Jody Kell is the executive director of the Child Care Association of Manitoba, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jody, thank you for this. Can I say one more thing really, really fast? Yes. Okay, I have to just say that this week has been proclaimed as week of the child care, um, early childhood educator. And although we are living in very unprecedented times, I would be remiss not to pay tribute and recognize the, all the early childhood educators, the child care assistants, and the licensed child, family child care providers who now and have always stood up to provide quality child care to Manitoba children and families. Well said, Jody. Thank you for that. It's been a while since we've been able to see this man in person. The mayor usually joins us once a month in studio, but in-person interviews, of course, have not been allowed for weeks. One of the many things that have changed with COVID-19, Greg. Yeah, the pandemic has hit every level of our lives and hard. There are thousands of Manitobans who are no longer working, businesses that can't open their doors, and at the city level, hundreds of employees have been temporarily laid off. In many respects, it's not business as usual, although the business of City Hall does continue, Loren. Yeah, and if these are different times, Mr. Mayor, we would let you enjoy that Iron Maiden song a little more, so I apologize <laughs> that we're getting right into this. Yeah, Good morning. No morning. It's nice to hear you guys. We were talking about business as usual in some respects because, you know, at City Hall, the voting continues on, on many cases, the committees continue, the analysis continues, and so we want to get to a vote that happened yesterday on this multi-million dollar proposed development in the Polo Park area. It didn't get the majority of votes by members of your executive policy committee, and so it now moves forward to council, but with a very different recommendation, and if we can, just right off the hop, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on that. You voted for this Polo Park development, um, but it was technically rejected by EPC. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it was, uh, look, members uh, of EPC had uh, different views on it and voted accordingly. And uh, that's what you're, you should expect to see at council next week. It's a, it's a hearing process. So I'll obviously choose my words carefully to respect the rules that, that govern our, our, uh, our hearing matters at, at City Hall. But uh, yeah, I, I ultimately voted for the development to proceed. And, um, you know, there are legitimate views on both sides of the vote. Um, you know, it's something that uh, members of council will have to weigh their options and, and vote on next week. But uh, the one thing I will say is the fact that we were voting yesterday. I mean, this was the first virtual uh, executive policy committee meeting in Winnipeg's history. Next week, we will have our first ever virtual council meeting and want to thank our clerks and members of council and the public service for being resilient and adapting to the changing circumstances so we can ensure business continuity uh, to keep the, the business of the city moving during the pandemic. Well, let's uh, continue that then. With that in mind, Mayor Bowman, the idea that uh, things have changed and you've got a business here that for all intents and purposes, as far as we know, intends, would like to go ahead with a development like this. In the economic times we find ourselves and we'll probably find ourselves in over the next several months or years, does that not make a, a private development like this even more of a priority? Well, like I said, I mean, my, my vote is a matter of public record. I'll have more to say once council weighs in next week, just because we are in a hearing process right now. And so um, it is a, it's a, it's an odd situation where the rules governing our, uh, our comments publicly are have to have to uh, show some discretion. So uh, I'll have more to say next week after council's weighed in, but my, my vote was for it to proceed and it's a matter of public record. Mr. Mayor, Manitoba is announcing its reopening plan later today. You've said you hope it addresses some of the more vulnerable populations in this city. What specifically does that mean to you? Well, you know, firstly, I mean, we're, we're waiting to see what their plans are. And, and obviously, we'll, we'll work diligently to support their efforts. Manitoba Health and the province have been doing good work. Um, you know, when it comes to our vulnerable community, I, I, you know, during COVID, I, I, I think what has been illustrated... Uh, clear, much more clearly to, to Winnipegers is how vulnerable our vulnerable community really is. And so, for example, you know, when we tell people to go home and, and self-isolate, um, many of us do go to a safe home that we can, uh, we can, you know, just spend time at. But if you are affected by homelessness, if you are living with addictions, uh, if you are uh, living in a situation where there's, there's violence in, in a home, uh, there are there are vulnerable citizens whose needs are going to continue, and they're going to continue to be at risk for COVID nineteen after businesses start opening. And so, we've seen uh, great work uh, in collaboration with groups like uh, Rick Lee's Main Street Project and and Homelessness Winnipeg uh, to uh, to work with other levels of government to ensure that there are additional spaces and supports. Uh, they they need to continue, and I just don't want to see us take our foot off the gas for the benefit of our citizens who need governments to to step up uh, going forward. Well, it highlights, the, the pandemic has highlighted the challenges for all sorts of people. And, and as you mentioned, Winnipeg's most vulnerable, Manitoba's most vulnerable. It's also put some issues on the back burner uh, that maybe, maybe haven't been paying as much attention to. And specifically, I'm thinking crime. We had the Bear Clan on last week talking about how they're seeing more people using bus shelters uh, to sleep in or to potentially, you know, uh, use drugs if that's something that they're, they're struggling with. And so I'm wondering how do we address the possibility that we might see more vulnerable people, but also more crime, given so many people are out of work and desperate, Mr. Mayor? 
Well, I mean, that that's a question for the police service. I, I spoke with the chief of police last week and, uh, you know, and I know that, you know, we are waiting to, to, uh, to hear if those observations are in fact backed up by, by fact and, and, and stats. And so we, we, we haven't seen that yet, but it's a, it's certainly a concern for me as well and making sure that uh, that we continue to, to deal with the root causes of crime in our community and uh, obviously make sure that uh, we continue to support first responders, including the Winnipeg Police Service. Mayor Bowman, as the economy starts to reopen and we expect to hear more details today, we will hear details on that transit, obviously where some layoffs have taken place. How important will it be to ramp up transit uh, availability and transit service in anticipation of more people going back to work? Well, what we've we've laid off uh, 900 and 27 of our of our staff um to and and it was driven not by just you know let's find some money to say but rather based on the the fact that the services were no longer needed and so we've seen a, a drop in uh transit ridership by about 70 i think 72 percent drop 74 percent drop in revenues and so that did drive some temporary layoffs look the sooner we can bring bring our valued staff back uh the better but we want to make sure that we're doing it based on, um, you know, what's responsible in terms of our operations, as well as balancing with the physical distancing and other public health orders. And that's been a that's been a moving target for all governments. You know, we're 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 having to manage uh, competing public policy objectives of doing what we can to keep the economy going, but also protect the health and safety of our residents. Mayor- so we'll we'll wait to see what the province comes out with today and. Uh, and then we'll we'll work to support it. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live on 680 CJOB for a monthly visit. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Thanks, everyone. Stay healthy. But now we continue the discussion on Polo Park. In early March, we shared with you at the time, exclusive details of an ambitious plan to redevelop the 80-acre site where the Polo Park Mall sits. The vision essentially removes the parking lots on Portage Avenue and St. James Street and replaces that space with apartment buildings of various heights. It's an infill development valued at nearly $1 billion. But the hurdle to this proposal is the location, which is a proven location for retail development. However, the mall also sits inside an area of land which finds itself in the pathway of what is being proposed as a third runway at Winnipeg's 24-hour international airport. And so yesterday, Executive Policy Committee of Winnipeg rejected the plan, Greg, by the narrowest of margins. And uh, one of the the three yes votes was from the mayor, who we just heard from at 745. Brian Bowman voted alongside Councillor Scott Gillingham and Sherry Rowland. City Councillors Matt Allard, John Orlico, Cindy Gilroy and Brian Mays agreed with the airport's authority that the location of this proposed project isn't ideal because of its location so close to the 24-hour cargo hub. All four voted against the project moving ahead at EPC. The idea isn't done quite yet. Full City Council gets their say next week. Councillor for St. Mattel, Brian Mays, joins us now. Good morning, Councillor. Good morning. So what can you tell us about your uh, opposition to this uh, project or this amendment, I guess, to the 25-year-old rule that, that prohibits such development in this part of the city? 
Yeah, and like like the mayor, there's not not a whole lot of debate or detail I can get into, given that it's still a live item. But I would say what you see on the public record, um, there's a report that talks about how important cargo flights are into Winnipeg, how we've maintained 24-hour access when other cities have lost it. I think it's page 29 of the report. So that, to me, was persuasive. It didn't seem like a good risk to permit this this one new development and possibly risk the operations of the 24-hour operations of the airport. We do need a new study. You're right about it being like 25 years old. We do need a new vicinity plan, but we don't have that. So it didn't seem wise to just uh, approve this as a one-off thing, possibly creating a precedent. Now, Greg referenced earlier how anybody moving into such a development, I think, would go in eyes wide open. Like, if I moved into an apartment that I knew was going to be in this sort of vicinity of the airport and there are going to be planes going overhead, that's on me. Like, if if the noise bothers me, I, I don't have to choose to live there. Well, there's an old legal concept about moving to nuisance, and I've had, you know, over the years, people complain about the trains running on the train tracks that they moved near to. So, yeah, I... I in theory, you have a point, but I have to say, in reality, other cities have had to shut down airports that are operating 24 hours. And you might say, well, people people knew what they were getting into. Well, maybe, but the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, human nature, people, people are likely to complain, and we didn't want to jeopardize the 24-hour operation. This is an example to me, you know, we've been talking about this for a few months now, Councillor Mays, and, and the debates have gone on from both sides and everyone keeps coming back to the same idea. Okay, that this this policy, that this rule that we can't uh, build near this air- airport, near this possible third runway uh, is old. And so let's restudy it and, and figure out a way to let's find a workaround. And instead, we're voting on something without that workaround. So how can we push expedite that process? So we have a report ready to go. So we're not pushing this project back by too much. And we can vote with our eyes wide open. Yeah, I know that frustrates Councillor Gillingham, whose who's area it is. And normally, I defer quite a bit to area councillors. But on this one, there's you know some bigger issues involved with the airport. Uh, <laughs> I would like to see that study done. We need, we should be getting it going. Um, it hadn't been done in the last 25 years. Uh, the technology, we're told of the planes, some of them has changed. But to me, it didn't seem like we had a new plan. It didn't seem like we had certainty that this uh, would not put at risk the 24-hour operations. Our staff said not to proceed. I sided with the staff on this one. Um, I mean, yes, I think Councillor Gillingham, if you were on the line, would say, yeah, let's let's get a study going. If this doesn't pass, I would agree with that. Let's let's get the study done and see maybe I'm right and or maybe the technology is changing and we can change around the, these contour lines that they talk about for noise. Uh, Councillor Mays, how long would a study, and uh, Julie Buckingham uh, said it perfectly last night on her show on the news with Richard Cloutier, you know, uh, the last people typically to jump up and down and, and demand a study uh, would be uh, would be herself, and I would consider myself in that same category. I'm not big on studies, but at the risk of losing out on what I think is a project that makes sense, how long would it in fact take to create a, a proper study to to either redefine this area around the airport that uh, would be that would prohibit development like this, uh, what are we looking at? I mean, I don't. We don't have that in the report. The airport authority. I. I mean, as I read the staff report, and again, I can't take new information. We're still in the middle of a hearing process, but. I mean, I, I don't, the airport hasn't indicated opposition. The airport, in fact, I think has, has indicated it could be done 
you know, fairly quickly. What does that exactly mean? I, I'm not an aviation expert. I don't know. But um, it certainly seems like uh, it's it's time to get it done. 25 years ago, of course, we had a different terminal. As you know, the airport was configured a little differently. So um, high time to, to get it done. It's not my area. It's not, you know, a city council jurisdiction. But we're having to deal with this because we've got, got um, you know, every, everybody would like to see a big development go forward in the midst of uh, economic recovery. But it, to me, it just didn't seem worth the risk. Councillor Mays, we've heard from both yourself and the mayor that you can't say too much due to the fact we're still in a hearing. And I don't want to get into too much minutiae here at City Hall procedures that we only have about 30 seconds. But why can't you say more? In previous meetings <laughs> past... The terrible. It's a terrible procedure. Yeah, so and you... we're, I think, very close to having the window to change that with the provincial uh, legislation that's coming forward. So I remember studying this in law school and thinking, this is... This is terrible. Half the what the politicians are supposed to act like judges part of the time, and now I have to live it. So yeah, I would very much like to change the procedure. That I think we could all agree on. All right, Brian Mays, Councillor for Saint Vitale, joining us live on six eighty CJOB. Councillor, thank you for this. Thanks. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. During this pandemic, we've heard so many great stories of how people are stepping up to help out our local businesses. Yeah, and just last week, Sherpa Marketing launched the Adopt-A-Business Challenge by putting up $50,000 in free professional marketing services to companies in need. It also asked for other companies able to help to join in. Eight other local companies have accepted the challenge and have agreed to provide free products or services to those in need. All told, the free products and services now top $100,000 and could help even more companies, Loren. It's a terrific initiative, and Marty Fisher is the CEO of Sherpa Marketing and joins us now on the start. Good morning, Marty. Good morning. How are you? We're well. We're doing okay today, uh, and and we are even better when we hear great stories like this, Marty. So I want to know what pushed you and Sherpa to step up and offer this kind of help. Well, you know, there's a lot of people out there uh, doing their best to help the frontline uh, healthcare workers and grocery store and logistics people. We thought, you know, the the people that are really going to need some help is when we finally have the stay-at-home orders lifted and can go about business uh, in the new normal, we want to have some of these businesses still exist and be around. So we're uh, offering our services to those to try and help kind of jumpstart their business and and really uh, get them uh, catalyzed uh, once things uh, get back to whatever our new normal is. We've seen so many businesses, Marty, pivot over, over the last, excuse me, <clears throat> over the last several weeks, it's been incredibly impressive to see some of these businesses take their take their operations in a different direction. Uh, are, were you surprised at how many businesses were willing to step up in this time of change? You know, to be honest, uh, uh, no, I'm not surprised at all. Um, number one, uh, the spirit here in Winnipeg of giving is is really second to none. But uh, the second point I would make is that, you know, the advertising people are just kind of good people in general. They're all, they all have a good spirit and we like to have a good time and help out. And, and this is, a, you know, maybe a, a bit of an opportunity for the marketing industry to step up and, and shine a little bit uh, as well. 
Well, can you elaborate on the kind of marketing services you'll be providing these companies in need? Sure. In, in Sherpa's context, we're what we like to call a full-stack marketing company. So we can do literally anything from video production to social media to, you know, full-blown television commercials so or even an e-commerce website so you know in our case we're we're gonna you know pick someone that we think we can really help and and offer them the the suite of services that is going to best get them going so it's it's not really what we want to give them so much as what they need us to to help them with how important is this? You know, there might be people out there that say the marketing is, is the last thing on their list as a business works to reopen or those kinds of things. But there's so much information to get out there now, perhaps even more so when it comes to how a business might be operating, how they're doing that with the physical or social distancing guidelines under a public health order. And so there's all sorts of different pieces to the puzzle of this, Marty. And it, it's perhaps more crucial now than ever before in some ways to get those points across. Yeah, no question. I, I think the one thing that we've seen certainly with our, our larger customers and talking to other agency owners is that, that this has forced the pivot to the digital space in a, in a very, very significant way. So if, if you haven't moved your business to uh, exist in a meaningful way in an online uh, fashion, you're, you're really behind the eight ball. Marty, we're even hearing stories from doctors who are not seeing the same number of patients that they're used to seeing because people are hesitant to leave the house, to go anywhere uh, where they might encounter somebody who is ill. We've heard about telehealth and, and the idea that this might be one of the industries that benefits most. So if, if we're talking about doctors having to let people know that they're going to be doing business differently and that things aren't the way they're used to, uh, clearly traditional businesses are going to be up against similar, similar challenges. Yeah, no question. Actually, it's interesting you uh, uh, point that out. One of our clients is uh, Carica, and that's one of the pivots that they've had to make is they've uh, aggressively moved into the telehealth space. And I think you're going to see that is really uh, going to gain a lot of momentum. There, there's a lot of uh, meaningful data out there that actually shows that people want to actually move to a telehealth type uh, situation. So, I mean, I imagine, too, like marketing is needed, obviously, uh, but many businesses probably just can't afford it and maybe won't be able to afford it even once we emerge into the new normal. So I guess that sort of speaks to just how important it is that you and your partners now are uh, stepping into into the breach. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, hopes and dreams are that uh, through uh, opportunities to speak with your audience that we can perhaps uh, nudge a few more agency partners to join up so that we can actually adopt uh, even more businesses and and, uh, help, you know, uh, we're kind of saying we, we can't save lives, but maybe we can help save a livelihood. Well, you can get more information at sherpamarketing.ca. Any businesses that have been hurt by the pandemic and need help can go to sherpamarketing.ca slash adopt a business. And any business wanting to help out can also visit the website or just contact Sherpa Marketing for more details. Marty Fisher is the CEO of Sherpa Marketing, joining us live on CJOB. Marty, thank you for the time. We appreciate it, sir. Awesome. You have a great day, everyone. Some very disappointing news for more than a handful of communities in our province, Loren.
Yeah, and that's because Post Media Network Inc. said it will lay off about 80 employees and permanently close 15 community newspapers, including several in Manitoba. That's all because the newspaper conglomerate is trying to navigate navigate, it says, the financial fallout of COVID-19. One of the quotes from CEO Andrew McLeod yesterday in a memo to staff obtained by the Canadian press read, our business, like so many, has been hit hard by the freeze imposed by the Canadian economy and around the world. The print and digital advertising revenue impact of the crisis has been significant. And that's one of the reasons why, Greg, they're saying they have to close shop at those 15 community newspapers across Canada. Yeah, scheduled to run their last editions here in Manitoba include the Interlake Spectator, the Morden Times, Selkirk Journal, Carmen Valley Leader, Stonewall Argus, the Toulon Times, the Winkler Times, and the Prairie Farmer, and the Red River Valley Echo. That's in Jeff Braun's neck of the woods, his old hometown, Altona. So many journalists have cut their teeth and learned the value of sharing local stories at these newspapers. If you follow sports in this city, you have read the work of our next guest. Ken Weeb covers the Winnipeg Jets and writes his stories for The Athletic. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, uh, guys and gal. Uh, How's it going today? We're doing all right. The Red River Valley Echo in Altona, very close to your heart. Ken, in a general sense, talk about what these newspapers mean to these communities. Yeah, you know what? As someone who grew up in in Altona and spent an awful lot of time playing sports in the in the Red River Valley, Pemina Valley region, uh, you know, local news is so important. Uh, you know, my father worked for three plus decades at. Golden West Broadcasting and having the newspaper show up uh, once a week to, to get your local news and sports was uh, an essential part of growing up. And uh, I mean, it's uh, it's a sad day for those communities. Again, we understand that technology is happening and we're in a we're in a crisis here and uh, a pandemic. But I think it's a sad day uh, overall in a lot of a lot of small towns. Uh, a lot of journalists got their start there and a lot of families uh, still value that service. What was your experience with uh, small town papers? Yeah, it was just amazing, you know. And, and I graduated in 1993, and in 1994 there was an opening at the Echo, and uh, one of my English teachers uh, back in Altona at W.C. Miller Collegiate, Peter Hildebrandt, uh, resonated with me. Um, he taught me how to throw a curveball when I was younger, so when he when he taught Shakespeare and the like, uh, I followed a little more closely. Um, a job came up to to cover sports and. It was just awesome, uh, such a fun experience, and although I don't want to date myself, just the, the value of you know seeing how a newspaper got made on a weekly basis was just incredible, uh, and I was 19 years old and basically acting as the sports editor. Uh, our managing editor, Liz Wheeler, was not a huge sports fan, and she knew my sports background, so she allowed me to basically make all this, the decisions on what would go in, and I mean, working at a newspaper in, in, in a small town, you, you cover some news, and uh, you know, I did mostly sports, but and also putting the paper together. I mean, our younger listeners would, will be shocked to know that uh, you once had to use an exacto knife and uh, and and a you know blue pencil to edit, and you know, uh, just the roller to put the pages together. And there was you know, the back then there was a dark room uh, for f- photography. I learned to shoot my own photos and. You know, you're covering minor hockey tournaments and, you know, covering the senior team, which, you know, in, in a lot of those small towns, they're like what the Jets are to Manitobans. I mean, uh, you know, the Altona Maroons were a, a team I went, you know, grew up watching and eventually played for. But, I mean, in those cities, 
and you know, a place like Winkler, where I played for the Flyers. I mean, those those teams are they're they're like the Stanley, they're like the NHL clubs in those markets. So, uh, to be able to work in that environment was excellent. But uh, you know, making clearing eight hundred eighty dollars a month, living in your parents' basement, uh, it was a, it was a good reminder to actually <laughs> go out and pursue the degree, uh, which is what I ended up doing at the University of Regina. Oh, I don't know. They'd be cooking you some good meals, Ken. It sounds like an okay deal as far as I'm concerned these days. But, you know, when you mentioned just covering some of those sports teams and, and the Maroons and all the rest, I mean, for, for the town, it's the way that information gets to them in so many cases. And it's where good stories come from. I mean, local, local, local. We can't always be in every single town in this country. That this Canada is vast and huge. And it's I can't count the number of times I've read something in a small newspaper or I've heard it on a local radio station and then thought, wow, that is a really great story. That needs to kind of move up the chain. It's like a good, it's almost like a good um, storytelling method, how it comes from the small paper and it moves its way up. And we might not hear about many of these great things happening without the contribution of, of the locals. No, you're really right, uh, Loren. I mean, for sure. I mean, all those things, whether it was, I mean, you can, whether it was bake sales or the minor hockey tournaments and, and all kinds of things that are happening in the communities uh, in terms of the business and the economy, I mean, those, those places kind of drive the news. And, I mean, people couldn't wait to, for the paper to show up in those days. Now, I get it, the, the, the shift online, and, and those companies were doing sort of the similar things. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just strange. It's going to be a strange time uh, for sure. I mean, I still probably have the, the first couple stories that I wrote. I got a box uh, somewhere at my dad's uh, place in Altona that has a bunch of stories in it. And uh, there's been a lot of nostalgia, a lot of spring cleaning happening during these times during the pandemic. And I'm certainly going to go dig up a few of those other articles. Uh, I worked with some great people there that taught me a great deal. Uh, Paul Dulesky and the late Marge Heinrichs and just the the, the atmosphere and Learning to work with a team, I mean, that was such an important part and, and, and a driving force in, in what's brought me to where I am today. I mean, I, I loved working with, with everyone in a, you know, it's a small building of, you know, six to ten people. And you got a sales guy, you got people working the front, working the phones. And, you know, like I said, the it's photo editors and, oh man, it was just uh, such a great, great, a great service to be part of. And like I said, I mean, that's where a lot of people had a chance to cut their teeth. I mean... You can't just start in a in a major city newspaper. So to, to be able to work around the province uh, was so important. And talking about sports, I mean, when I played for the Pemina Valley Orioles, uh, I mean, there's only one sports person, and the team wasn't at the top of the of the list in terms of coverage. So I, I did a weekly column on how our team fared that week. So I mean, that was always something where parents love to see their kids' names in the paper. And and when you're a teenager, I mean, it's great to be able to, to see your name in the paper as well. So, I mean, that was another great, great uh, you know, way to learn how to write and, you know, kind of ply your trade, I guess. Yeah, we like to think that that's the, the hole we fill here at CJOB. Uh, it's a local, live, local first is one of our sayings, one of our mantras. And, uh, you know, I think about sports, Ken, and if we had to count on the national television networks and the national newspapers to, to cover the sports the way that we would want them to, well, you'd never get any coverage of the Jets or the Blue Bombers, uh, let alone the Gold Eyes or any of the local teams. So this is obviously important where you work now has realized that the the athletic but they're a digital they're on a digital platform but you have two individuals yourself and Murat Atesh uh, covering the Jets for the athletic in this market we talk about how important these local papers are but on the same hand you know as a business guy I'm going well then why in the heck can't they survive it 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 baffles my mind 
Yeah, it, it's tough, Greg. I mean, having worked, I mean, I worked myself at Post Media for for 20 years too, and I've seen the you know the drastic and dramatic changes uh, both on the you know on the technology side and also in terms of staffing. I mean, when I started in 2000 at the Sun. The building was vibrant, and the running joke was always that you know I had to park way around the corner of the building uh, because there were so many staff. And by the time I was you know wrapping up there last last summer, we had ten people in editorial a total. I mean, there used to be more than fifty, and the building was full. I mean, there've been a lot of changes in the uh, newspaper industry overall, and it's been tough. I mean, the, the the move to digital and the you know the, the you know the ability to try to monetize. Uh, on that side of things has been a challenge for for all all papers across uh, North America and it's a really tough time on on that front too seeing a lot of a lot of friends that I've made uh, covering the National Hockey League either be on furlough or or laid off entirely so uh, hopefully uh, things can get sorted out on the ad revenue front and uh, those places can get back to really thriving Ken Weeb covers the Winnipeg Jets and writes the stories for The Athletic. Joining us live on 680 CJOB. Ken, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated, sir. My, my pleasure. Have a great day. Phone lines are open at 204-780-6868. To find our next qualifier for Wishing I Was Fishing. Details on that in a moment. But coming up at 11 this morning, Loren, who will be speaking to the province? Well, it's become an almost daily thing now to hear from the Premier or the Health Minister and definitely, of course, Brent Rusin, our Chief Public Health Officer. But at 11 o'clock today, the Premier is going to be addressing something that many people have been waiting a long time for. That's the rollout plan or the reopening of some parts of the economy, that slow reopening, lifting of some restrictions. So more details at 11. There'll be lots of questions leading up to that, and I'm sure there'll be some questions after that, but we're going to get some details on what Manitoba hopes to do in the weeks and months ahead when it comes to slowly getting back to this new normal, Brett. And Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham will be speaking with Dr. Brent Rusin right after the 4 o'clock news today on the news, which has run from 4 until 8. Also on the news today, $50 gift card up for grabs for Netflix, but as mentioned, we want to find our next qualifier for Wishing I Was Fishing, which is... Uh, it's an angler's dream getaway from Winnipeg Custom Countertops and Cabinets. Every day, this week and next week, we're going to find qualifiers for the grand prize, the $6,000 grand prize, which we're giving away on May 11th. Also, just for qualifying, you will win a stainless steel travel mug and a thermos for qualifying. All right. Here's today's question. In 1950, only about 7% of women did this. Today... Over 70% do. What is it? Loren, any initial guesses? Don't don't say. <laughs> yeah, but I also, I wouldn't dare say it out loud, I don't think, but I'll text it to you. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to know what she has to say, but let's see if Marie knows. Hey, Marie. Good morning. Do you know what it is? Um, I'm going to say um, made bras. <laughs> Make bras? Yeah. No, that's not the answer. Creative, though. Lori. Hi, Lori. Hello. In about, in 1950, only 7% of women did this. Today, over 70% do. What is it? I'm going to say color their hair or dye their hair. Yes. What? Yeah, that's it. That's the answer? Oh. Oh. (laughs) That is the answer. Color or dye their hair. I just did mine the other day. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And how did it look? Uh, 
It, you know what? It'll pass. The grays are covered up. That's all that matters. <laughs> I've been tempted to try the same thing myself, so I'm curious how other people are doing it. Okay, cool, I Brett. Did my roots, yeah. So, Lori, are you an angler? Um, yes, we are. Both yeah. me and my husband. Yes. Okay. Well, so this prize that you have now qualified for gets you a weekend at Q Lake Lodge. You get a three-night stay for up to six guests. It includes a guided fishing tour on a boat. You get uh, Fluger, President XT, and Shimano reels. You get uh, some action rods from Shimano from the fishing hole. You'll get a Lowrance fish finder slash sonar, angler's edge mapping, premium hydrography, and much, much more. You can get all the details at cjob.com. But you are now qualified. Maybe we'll be calling your name on May 11th. All right, I'm going to put you on hold. Stand by, Lori. I'm going to put you on hold. Forte is going to get your details off the air. Uh, yeah, Loren, I'm just looking at your options now. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, you know, like a, a lot of this happened over the decades with the uh, evolution of our all our species and also the push towards equity and equality. And in the boudoir, the bedroom, I, my guess would have been that 70, only 7% of women may have been achieving something there. And... Now I'd like to think 70% is still not great, but I do hope a lot more women are getting to the top of that cliff, so to speak. <laughs> a climactic conclusion to the proceedings? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the apex, as Andrew Cuomo would call it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we'll continue to give away uh, more stainless steel travel mugs and thermoses and find qualifiers for wishing I was fishing tomorrow on the start. And your other joke, well, maybe this was a guess here, Loren, but this kind of ties into something, Greg, that you sent us yesterday afternoon. You also guessed uh, drink. And Greg, you sent us uh, an article that hap- for many of us working at home, uh, happy hour for social drinkers, happy hour has suddenly become every day mm-hmm. and i think that was uh, out of the wall street journal and just the alarming rise at which people are taking to alcohol to cope with and to deal with what's going on and i guess it's the availability and the option right we we, we think that uh, the reason we don't drink at work is because we're not supposed to mm, if there was a bar in your lounge at work you probably would I suspect if there was a wine rack 10 feet from your desk, although I think I had a 2.6 of Crown Royal in the bottom drawer of my desk for almost two years that I wanted to touch every once in a while and crack open, but it ended up coming home full with me. Yeah, this has been very eye-opening, I think, for a lot of folks and their relationship with alcohol. And the other thing I, I, I sent you was the trick for when you're on the video chat and you want to have some wine in the restaurant business back in the day, you, when I was a manager, you would ask for an Al Pacino and that was basically a shot of rye or your favorite uh, alcoholic beverage in a coffee cup. Well, this video I sent you guys involves a little bit of extra trickery because you tape the tag of your red rose tea bag or whatever tea bag you like best so that it hangs out of your cup and, and, you, and you put a shot of your favorite spirit or wine in your coffee cup and uh, you've got the decoy of the little, of the little tea bag tag hanging oh, out of your cup. Uh, you see, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more uh, devious, but, uh, you know, it, it gets the job done. Like you're faking that you're having not having a drink to hide it from someone? Mm-hmm. I believe mm-hmm. that's one of the whatever signs there, whatever 
number of signs that you might have a problem are, that's got to be on there when you're pretending to uh, quite possibly drink, drink tea rather than your shot of rye. Clever, though. I'm not going to pretend like I'm not going to put that in the old file cabinets <laughs> and store that for later. <laughs> well, I mean, we did one of our trivia questions, I think it was two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, uh, was 30% of people who are working from home admit that they are doing this, and that's drinking while they're working. And Look, I mean, I, I've said before, uh, you know, Loren and I, I know we, we like to joke about the fact that we like to, you know, have a drink. I, we, I think we, we called him Johnny Bacardi, Bobby Bacardi. But mm-hmm. I honestly, if I was working from home, that is something that I wonder if that's a temptation that I would suddenly be, you know, would suddenly be hanging over my head to have access to that while I'm working. Because sometimes we get beer drop-offs at work, and I'll crack a beer after the show uh, while I'm sitting at my desk. Whatever. I mean, our, our day's Keyword basically after. done. Yeah. Well, it has happened sometimes during the show. <laughs> during the show. Well, while that's we've had true. To, yeah. That's well, true. we had to do some sampling, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it was, part, it was research. It was uh, <laughs> part of the segment. But, uh, yeah, I, so... The fact that I am working at the station, I think, is good for me to just circumvent even even going near that Pandora's box, Loren. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I still have that whole line about what time of day it is. And even even I've joked last week that, you know, happy hour starts early when you're on the shift because you start your day at 3 or 4 a.m. But I, I don't really mean it because I still haven't figured out a way to enjoy, say, that patio beer or whatnot unless it's certain the sun's in a certain position in the sky and right now it is way too in the east but i i do think that for so many people there's that problem with a you might be turning to it because times are so hard right now and you're struggling and you're finding ways it's a coping mechanism and then for other people one thing that that it is. It's the same way. I don't know what smokers feel about this, but it's a break, right? So when you pour yourself a drink, it signals another part of your day. It's like saying, okay, the work day is over. Now now the relaxing part of my day begins. And that comes earlier for sure in the day because you're not running the kids to hockey or doing all these other things. And so I bet there, there are a lot of people out there that find themselves like, whew, it's only Tuesday, 4.30, and here I am, right? Uh, it, it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge if it, for a ton of people right now. Unless you're on Young and the Restless, <laughs> they're airing they're airing classic episodes right now, and they oh, used to drink. They used to drink all hours of the day openly oh. in the office. It was like Mad Men, where they would have a you had a cart and you had the the scotch or whatever and and glasses, and they'd offer you drink. It, it really kind of bizarre to watch the classic episodes of Y and R and and the different habits that they had back then. That's how Nikki hid her addiction for quite some time. She put vodka into a water tumbler or glass, and uh, nobody was the wiser for many, many years. Oh, Nikki. <laughs> Poor Nikki. 946 on 680 CJOB. <laughs> Nikki, that the woman who plays Nikki, by the way, I wonder if there is a person on this planet who has uh, produced more tears in her life. Doesn't she cry every episode? Oh, she's great at it. She's such a good crier. Such a good crier. And Victor Newman's so good at that face, like, hmm? <laughs> what are you crying My for? darling. Huh? My darling, What's... Nikki. Let's get married for a 17th time. <laughs> you devious man. I want you to pack your things, and I want you to get out! Isn't that the classic line to Jack Abbott? Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you nailed it. <laughs> Throw the chair goes out the window. Yeah. Oh man, Jack and Jack and Victor had some great scenes over the years. I like when they hate each other. Yeah. 
Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.